All right, a few notes here. I do want to mention that this is a brief overview of covenant theology. It is going to be brief. I've got eight, maybe nine weeks to do this. And we cannot get into all the issues. I just want to give you an overview to to whet your appetite. If you've done some reading on the covenants before, a lot of this stuff isn't going to be new. Um, So... Uh, again, just to whet your appetite. And this is designed for people who have never really studied the issue. Maybe can define a little bit about what it is, but, but can't, really, can't really give an adequate or full definition of what it is and why it matters. So this is going to be a brief overview. And I, I think that it's legitimate that I... Answer the question right away. Why are we studying this right now? Especially as a church plant. There seems to be so many other things that are important, more important. We think about the fact that one of our prayers and desires is to see um, more visitors, uh, to, to see this church established, to reach those in the community. It would seem like, okay, maybe we should do a series on outreach, evangelism, missions. But we're studying this right now because uh, in my discipleship, in my talking with you all uh, in counseling, um, this is an important subject. This kind of discussion that's going on in our church right now. When you talk about issues related to how do we understand and interpret the Old Testament in relation to the New? What do we believe about the Gospel? Our, our, our God's plan of redemption? What do we believe about the sacraments? Why do we fence the Lord's table? Why do we uh, baptize upon profession of faith? These are questions that people are, stu- uh, are, are struggling with. Not, maybe not struggling, but going through right now. And so it's fitting that we kind of take a brief period to lay some foundational issues. Because the study, study of covenant theology undergirds everything that we're about as a church. Everything that is distinctive about this church as a Reformed Baptist confessional church, covenant theology is really the heart of it all. So our goal, very simple, is I want to give you an understanding of what is covenant theology. Basic. To see where it's taught in Scripture, and obviously to answer the question, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Is it just a system that that the Puritans and Reformers came up with? Is it just a, a, a theology to justify infant baptism? That's a popular perspective in our day. Is it just something that's concerned with head knowledge, academia, and not with actually you know, walking in obedience? I want to show you why it matters for faith and practice. So, to begin with, turn your Bibles, if you will, to, to Titus chapter 1. I'm alternating between coffee and water here. Isn't that great? <laughs> Who uh, would like to le- read loud and clear for us Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3? Spencer, please do.
and at the proper time manifested in his world through the preaching which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Thank you. Great opening to this pastoral epistle. I want you to notice a few things here in relation to covenant theology. Although God never lies, Paul says, in fact in Hebrews chapter 6 it says it is impossible for God to lie, He nevertheless made a promise, eternal life. If your yes is yes and your no is no, why do you make a promise? He made a promise. God is a promise-making, promise-making and covenant-making God, is what we can derive from this and many other passages as well. He doesn't just say things, but He makes promises. We'll consider that more in a moment. When did He make this promise, though? Look at the text. Before the ages began. Before creation. So he made a promise of eternal life and he made it before the ages began, which raises the question, we're not going to get into it right now, but it raises the question, who is this promise to if nobody existed? The answer to that is it was a promise of the Father to the Son to give a people, the elect, up in verse 1, and to secure their redemption. That's not my point, but the point is, he made a promise before the ages, before the world was created, here's a covenant. Continue on. When was this promise manifested? Made known, revealed. At the proper time. So here's an eternal promise that was made known at, a, at the proper time. How? Was this promise manifested? In his word, through preaching of the gospel. Maybe anticipating my argument, in his word, through the proclamation, or I should say, primarily through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is essentially... 30,000 foot view of covenant theology. Covenant theology thus deals with, this is the questions that we're trying to answer here. The promises that God makes, which in Scripture I'm going to show, argue, that are expressed by way of covenant. That's how God makes promises. Covenant theology deals with these promises that he makes, the relationship and the reality that these promises create, okay, including eternal life, or in the case of covenant breakers, condemnation. Right? This, this covenant promise, again, we're going to consider it more in a moment, but it, it, it creates a reality or a relationship. It has stipulations and obligations. So covenant theology looks at the promise and looks at the reality that it creates. It looks at who he made these promises to. Again, in a minute I'm going to break all this down, but he makes his uh, promises to covenant heads. We'll call them, uh, the theological term is federal head, doctrine of federal headship. 
It means there is one figure like Abraham. I'm making a covenant with Abraham, but he is the head of the covenant. All of Abraham's seed is, is also included in that covenant and affected by its terms. And covenant theology looks at when these promises are revealed and brought about in human history. That is big picture stuff. So covenant theology seeks to understand the big picture. What is the theme? What is the the main theme, the motif of Scripture? What is God's ultimate purpose? What is the purpose and goal of creation and redemptive history? That's what covenant theology seeks to understand. How has God made promises regarding this goal, and how has He revealed them in human history? So, we see this grand promise, and then we look at Abraham and we say, Oh, I see a little piece of this promise coming to fulfillment and being made known. Oh, with Moses, here's here's another step where I see a little bit more of the promise. And then, like, like a firecracker that just shoots through the Old Testament and then explodes in the New Testament, with Christ we see this promise fully revealed, fully made known, fully accomplished. Listen to our confession. Um, Chapter 7, verse 2. Uh, London Baptist Confession of 1689. I broke this down. It's one paragraph, but I broke it down so we can focus on each phrase. This covenant, and I'm not going to get into exactly what they mean by that. Let me just summarize by saying it's the same thing that we saw in Titus 1-2, promise of eternal life. That's what it's concerned with. This covenant, this promise of eternal life, is revealed in the gospel, which is what Paul says in his word through preaching, right? Remember? Titus 1-2. It is revealed in the gospel, first of all to Adam, in the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman, and afterwards by farther steps, until the full discovery thereof was completed in the New Testament, And it is founded on that eternal covenant transaction that was between the Father and the Son about the redemption of the elect. This kind of summarizes what I just argued from Titus chapter 1. There is an eternal... Well, hold on. I got... Here we go. (laughs) A promise of eternal life that began before creation. It was first revealed in human history to Adam... Right? The seed of the woman is going to crush the, the head of the serpent. And it is revealed by farther steps, like steps leading up to a great building. Right? Anticipation, building, like the momentum is gathering. Until the full discovery of that promise of eternal life that was made before creation was completed and revealed in the New Testament through the personal work of Christ and the preaching of the gospel. To summarize this, God did not accomplish salvation all in one fell swoop, but He did so in stages. 
And at each stage of this accomplishment, God furthered His purposes. How did He do so? By way of a covenant. That's how He progressed. And here's Abraham for a while. Now it progresses to Moses. And now it progresses to David. And now it completes in Christ. So, He didn't just accomplish it at once. He did so in stages leading to the purpose and work of Christ. Oh, I just anticipated what I put up there. Oops. Um, In the covenant of works with Adam and Eve. We'll look at that. But that um, is related to the promise of eternal life. And then after the fall, the covenant of grace. We're going to look at that as well in detail. But that's the the term that we give it. It's not a scriptural term. It's a theological term. The covenant of grace, or the scriptural term, would be the hope of eternal life. Then you have the covenant of circumcision, the covenant of obedience, the covenant of kingship with David, and then the covenant of grace consummated, accomplished, fully revealed in the new covenant with Jesus Christ. These are the farther steps. And the covenants are that silver thread running through everything that God does which is all intended to accomplish his main goal and his main purpose alright another way of putting this covenant theology looks at the trees the various covenants in the Bible in order to understand the forest the unified plan of God for all of creation and new creation. And it asks the question, how is God revealing His purposes in His covenant with Adam and Abraham and so on, so that we, so that, not we, but so that, sorry, all of this comes together as His unified purpose in Christ. You see that? It looks at the forest and the trees, which is why it's so intricate. It looks at the forest but then looks at the specific covenants in order to understand the forest. That's what covenant theology is all about. So, I'm going to dive into this a little bit more detail in the 20 minutes we have left, but are there any questions at this point? What do you think? What what have you heard when you hear the term covenant theology? What comes to your mind? Or what comes to your mind after you've heard this initial kind of summary? Any questions? Anything? Feedback? Is this um, the people who are thinking more in terms of periods? Is this what they say? Oh, yeah, that's, that's similar to different things. Yeah, I think. In many respects, it, it's similar to dispensationalism in the respect of dispensationalism does look at redemptive history, different dispensations of God's dealing with man. Um, but of course, they come to very different conclusions. So that's probably where the commonality ends. They come to different conclusions. Dispensationalism basically sees... Um, God dealing completely differently in each period. And oftentimes with them, there's no continuity between dispensations. 
They don't build on each other. They're, you know, like for example, God's done dealing with Israel for now. He deals completely different with the church, and then he's going to return to deal with Israel um, at the, uh, I guess, after the the rapture or uh, at some point in the, in the future. So there's a lack of continuity there bet- uh, between dispensations. It's more of a break and then starting over. Uh, there's some similarities, but I guess uh, I guess to summarize, that's kind of how I would describe their view. There seems to be a sense with dispensations, I tried this and it didn't work, so now he's going to try something new. Whereas this is much more God has the plan from before the beginning that he continues to carry out. There's not the sense of, oh wow, that didn't work, what's plan B? Yeah, that's true in the old dis- classic dispensation. Yeah. The progressive dispensationalists um, and men like, uh, like John MacArthur uh, faithful men don't hold to that view anymore, but that's classic dispensation. Exactly. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom and Israel rejected him. So God's like, all right, I'll turn to the church now in this parentheses and then I'll turn back to Israel when, when they repent. And um, yeah, that's classic dispensationalism. Most, most sound theologians have rejected that yeah. nowadays. Did I see a hand over here? Trent? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat them as the same. A promise is an aspect of a covenant. It's one aspect in a covenant. But I'm going to get to that in just a second. So, All right, so let's look at some basics, but I want to narrow in a little bit. What is a covenant? Who can tell me? Not, not just a biblical covenant, but a covenant in general. What, just, there's no wrong answers here. Come on. Cody? A contract, okay. Um, an alliance to some extent. An alliance, both true. Josh? A two-way relationship. A two-way relationship. Usually there's some type of... Um, uh, contract or something that's more than just a handshake of the word that's put in place. Some sort of uh, legality. It's not something exactly. There's there there are penalties. Yes. A binding agreement. That's a great definition, Cody. Yes. All of these are really good answers. You guys are tracking with me. This is good. This is good. Um, oh, I'm anticipating myself. I like the children's catechism uh, answer here. It's just so simple. It doesn't get into all the details. It's not perfect, but it's just such a simple. A covenant is an agreement between two or more persons. Um, that's how my daughter, son and daughter have memorized it. And as I catechize them, that's how I've memorized it. Um, but it's all of those things you guys said, but at the very basic, it's, it's an agreement between parties. And more specifically here, a covenant, specifically in regards to, I guess maybe in, in general, it's a DTR. Define the relationship. I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it defines the particulars of a relationship. 
are we dating? <laughs> are we going steady? <laughs> what? Tell me what's going on here. Well, the covenant is a way in which those details are laid out so that everybody knows where they stand. No confusion here. Often it involves oaths, stipulations, you must do this, obligations, you're obligated to do this or not do this, promises, if you do do this, this is what will happen, reward or punishment. It it involves all these things in a given relationship between these parties. And I'm going to argue that in Scripture, God has chosen to relate to human beings by way of the covenant. That's how He relates to us. Why? Because that's how He relates to Himself within the Godhead. The Father making a promise to the Son and the Spirit promising to to bring that about in time is the eternal covenant of redemption And because we're made in the image of God, we too relate to God by way of a covenant. And as I'm going to argue in a minute, that's the only way He relates to us. Here we go again. Sorry, I should have put that up before I went. This is because the persons of the Godhead relate to each other by way of the covenant. Again, listen to our confession here. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 1. The distance between God and the creature is so great. Right? Creature-creator distinction. We're not on His level. He's not on ours. He's not only greater and bigger than us, but He's different than us. He's distinct. He's a, there's a difference of quantity and... Um, nope, nope, nope. Sorry. I missed it. What was that? Quality, yes. There we go. The distance between God and creatures is so great that all the reasonable creatures, that means us being creatures, just by nature of us being created by Him, we owe Him obedience because He's our Creator, yet we could never have obtained the reward of life but by some voluntary condescension. Am I saying that right? On God's part, which He hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. What does that mean? Covenant is the way that God defines His relationship with us. He doesn't just shout from the heavens. Because of our weakness, because we're human, He stoops to our level. He says, I'm not just going to say this to you. I'm going to give you a promise. And I'm going to give you a sign for your assurance and your comfort so that you know where you stand with me, what I'm requiring of you, what I will do for you. Like the rainbow. The rainbow was to remind us and God of His covenant with Noah. That God put a rainbow in the sky because He's prone to forget? No. He gave it for us. So that we see it and we can be assured, we can have comfort. God will not flood the earth again. So by looking at the covenant, we can be fully assured about where we stand. 
what our duties and responsibilities and obligations are, what punishment and reward awaits. Think about a marriage covenant, right? What is a marriage covenant? Two people love each other, at least in our day, before they get married. Love, the marriage covenant doesn't create love. But it stands up in front of everyone and makes that love public. And it has vows, right? That public people are to witness and hold them accountable to. And it has a legal aspect to it, which doesn't diminish the love at all. It actually increases and heightens the love. And it has punishments and rewards. Well, it, maybe not in our day, but there used to be, you know, punishment um, if you broke your marriage vows. And it has a sign, the marriage ring, as a reminder of those vows that you made. That's what a covenant is. It defines the relationship with clarity, the responsibilities, the promises, and it has a sign. And the marriage, just like the marriage um, covenant, the marriage ceremony, the marriage vows, strengthens and inflames love for one another and gives the other person comfort knowing that person has committed to me over everyone else in this world. The same is true with God. We know where we stand with God. That's why he makes covenants. Who's heard the term, the phrase, it's not religion, it's a relationship. Pretty popular in our day. Let me ask you though. Well, one thing I don't like about this is religion is a biblical word. (laughs) True and undefiled religion is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and keeping oneself unspotted, unstained from the world, uh, James tells us. So religion is it's a biblical word, so I don't really like that phrase. But more specifically, what's the nature of that relationship? Think of the relationships you have in your life. Probably have a best friend, maybe a sibling, a parent, Professor, police officer, a judge, a president. What is this relationship with God like? Is it like you and your sibling? Or is it like you and the police officer? Or is it like you and your professor? Or you and your college president? Or you and your spouse? Or your boyfriend or girlfriend? What is our relationship with God like? Wrong. (laughs) That's the problem with that phrase is relationship is subjective. It's me and my personal relationship with God. Don't you tell me anything about how I relate to God or how I ought to live. Don't judge me. That's not how the Bible treats our relationship with Him. Covenant is the way that God defines His relationship with us, with humanity. So, 
kind of heading towards a conclusion here for today. The way in which God reveals Himself to us, what He's like, what He's going to do, what His purposes are, uh, the rewards and punishment of obedience or disobedience, the way in which God offers us eternal life, the hope of eternal life, Titus 1-2, comes to us in the garb of a covenant. The only way that we can know God in a saving way is through how He has revealed Himself via the covenant. I hope I'm, at least by this, um, I hope I'm encouraging you at least in the respect of how covenant theology is important. I hope I'm piquing your interest in some sense that we want to know what this, what, what, we want to know the parameters of this covenant. We want to know um, how God defines our relationship and deals with us. And as we will see, I guess probably beginning in two weeks, um, everybody, without exception, is in a covenant with God. Everyone relates to God by way of a covenant. Covenant of works, covenant of grace, uh, for summary, to summarize it. God does not speak, reveal himself, Deal with man except by way of a covenant. All right, so let's, I'll take questions in just a second, but I want to conclude. Why is it important? Just based upon what we've considered today. Well, the word covenant appears 300 times in Scripture. That's pretty prominent. It's not even counting the places where uh, the actual word is absent, but the concept is present, which we will see. Sometimes the word is not there even when a covenant exists. We read the account of God making a covenant with David, and the word is never mentioned, and yet in the Psalms we read that it was a covenant. We see uh, oftentimes that the word doesn't have to be present every time as long as the parameters are there. So the covenant, the word, just itself, appears over 300 times in Scripture. We, we, we should probably figure out why this is so prominent. Um, another reason why it's important. God entered into covenant with just about every major figure in Scripture. There's some pretty important people right here. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, the Lord Jesus Christ. The most prominent figures in Scripture, God entered a covenant in. So, naturally, we again see this idea of covenant is pretty important. Not only that, but we find that in these covenants, other people are included, and at times, even us. The covenant with Adam includes every human being. The covenant with Noah includes all creation. Heavens and the earth and the animal kingdom. The covenant with Abraham included all his seed. The covenant with Moses included all of Israel. The covenant with David included the people under his rule. And the new covenant 
in Jesus Christ includes all of his offspring, his seed, the children of God by faith. So not only are the covenants prominent in Scripture, not only are they made with the prominent figures in Scripture, but they relate to us as well. We are involved in these covenant transactions too. Another reason why it's important. Every Christian knows that Jesus shed His blood for our sin, but I think maybe far fewer are able to explain what He meant when He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. If you don't know anything about covenant theology, you're not really going to understand a statement there. And if you only have a small, basic understanding of covenant theology, then your grasp and understanding of the deep significance of these words is going to be limited. The greater you know what he's talking about, the greater you can love and appreciate and have joy in what, the depth of what he's saying right here. Another reason related to this is our salvation in Scripture is repeatedly described as the outworking of the new covenant. As I just mentioned there, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Book of Hebrews, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Better covenant? Better than what? He has obtained a ministry that is far more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. It's okay, it's more excellent, it's better. He's a mediator of a new covenant. It's new... Well, we got to know the old. We got to know why it's better than the old. We got to know how, it's, how, how and why it's different than the old. And we ought to understand the ministry that Jesus Christ mediates through this new covenant in distinction of the old. These are matters of the gospel. Your, go- your view and understanding of the gospel is going to be limited if your view and understanding of covenant theology is superficial and shallow. Let's wrap this up. Covenant is all over Scripture. These covenants include and or affect us. These covenants reveal the grand purpose of God. Our salvation is described in covenantal terms. Thus, we ought to know what God is communicating through covenant. And we ought to study it. And so that's... That's kind of where we're going. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, Next week, we're going to have another week of introduction before we dive into the specifics. But really what I want to look at next week is why it matters and how it affects our faith and practice. And just to give you a preview, um, it affects how we read the Bible. It affects how we relate to the Old Testament. Maybe... You know, at one point, <laughs> and I'm just saying this from my own experience. Have you ever started a, you know, read through the Bible in one year program? And Leviticus and Numbers is where those plans go to die, right? You hit those and you give up. What? How is this relevant? This is so archaic. Well, understanding the big picture 
And also what God is doing right then shows you how that one promise of eternal life appears in Leviticus and Numbers and what God is doing, and that allows you to make application to your own life because God's made the same promise and is doing the same things in different ways in the New Covenant. And so you can see the relation. And you don't have to read through Leviticus and Numbers with that, you know, what does this have to do with me? So, covenant, it affects a lot of things. How we read the Old Testament, how we relate it to the New Testament, how we understand the Gospel. It affects every matter of faith and practice, and I hope to show that next week. So, we've got to wrap up. If you have a question, go ahead and write it on that card and just hand it to me, um, or hand it to me next week, that's fine. Um, Are there any, is there anything quick? Or last thoughts that I can answer for you before we close in prayer? Cody? That's a great point, and I would add on that as well, that uh, it allows us to see, um, like the Noahic covenant, allows us to see grace, common grace in our neighbor and appreciate um, that common grace that he has given them in the image of God and the restraining of evil in their lives so that we can appreciate um, them and their positive qualities in relation to the image of God um, and not just write them off as, you know, mere devils, which we should avoid. So, very good. Let's close in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you, Father, that you have come down to us uh, and not just shouted from the heavens, but you soup to our level. You use physical earthly things like bread and wine and water to communicate your promises to us, for our comfort and our assurance that we may know we have this hope of eternal life and we may be assured of how you will treat us in the future, come what may. We thank you, Father, uh, that you have poured out your Spirit to give us insight and understanding into these things. And we pray now that as we turn to the worship of your name with your people, that you would add your blessing, that you would glorify yourself, that you would extend and build your kingdom here on earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Right. Kim, would you help me get all this? All right. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, you look like a deer caught in headlights there. <laughs>